Let me invite you to turn to, in your Bibles, to Acts, and we're in the last chapter, much to the relief of many of you, and uh, we'll soon be done with this book, uh, but the book is still being written, so in some ways we never finish, but anyway, we're in Acts 28, <clears throat> I'm going to begin reading in verse 16, that's in page 1337 in your pew Bible, we'd encourage you to follow along on your, your pad there, or your Bible and to read the Word of God along with me. Acts 28, verse 16. And when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. And it happened that after three days he called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, and when they had come together, he began saying to them, Brethren, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have, we any, nor have any of the other brethren <clears throat> come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere." And when they had set a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. And some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through the Isaiah the prophet to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn again, and I should heal them. Let it be known to you, therefore, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. Join with me in prayer, please. Our Father, we are in need of your help and your assistance, for we all are slow learners. We do not have the ability to understand and perceive what it is that you would have inspired the Luke, the author of this particular part of your word, apart from your Holy Spirit and your help to get our focus off of just our own self, our own life, our own thoughts. Help us to think and to have our minds focused on Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. I start off with this very important statement. God never goes back on his promises. You know, we 
ourselves may go back on our promises, and we do often, sadly. But God keeps every promise. He is as reliable as the sunrise every morning that comes up and turns the dark to light. And therefore, as I read this text, how sweet it must have been for this missionary, this church planter, for Paul, the apostle, to have finally, after two years of being imprisoned in Caesarea, after four judicial hearings or trials, if you will, after a life-threatening shipwreck at sea, traveling from eastern Mediterranean to Italy, finally, he enters into the capital city in Rome. Three years earlier, Paul had written to the church in Rome. He had written in chapter 15 that his intent, his, his desire, was to eventually go to Spain, and on the way to Spain, he would go visit them. Well, here it is three years later, at last, his long-awaited arrival had come. Just one hitch, one problem. If you read the text there, verse 20, Paul is still shackled. Here he is for well over two years. He has remained a prisoner, and he still is a prisoner. He is still a person seeking justice. And with every movement of his hand, I'm assuming it's a chain on his wrist, one side or the other, he's chained to another soldier. I'm assuming that with every time he's trying to move that hand, he's reminded that he is bound and not a free man. Look at verse 16, and you get the idea there that he talks about the fact that there's this chain obviously must represent a number of things to him, and I've just tried to, in my mind, imagine what it represented for him. It probably would be something we would consider, he would have considered to be annoying, or even more so, something inconvenient. His loss of privacy. Imagine being chained to somebody throughout the day and night. He's, he has lost his liberty. It's also a painful reminder of the relentless opposition that he has faced time and time again in which people have just started a riot over his attempts to just faithfully proclaim Christ, the Messiah. These chains probably also represented, in a sense, shame. They were a shameful symbol of someone who is incarcerated. He looks like he's being treated like a criminal. Now in some ways, as I've thought about this chain and thought about what it must have been like for him to have this kind of situation, now as he finally enters into Rome, I've wondered to myself, in some ways don't we all have quote-unquote chains that bind us? Obviously we're not in the same exact situation. We're not in a Roman uh, incarceration situation, but we have things that serve to restrict us in life. Many of us have a lack of freedom. Others of us have things that hinder us in our effectiveness in being useful and sharing our faith to other people. Some of us, it's our failures from our past that we can't seem to escape that. We can't seem to get past that. And so these things, we drag them into our present. 
Others of us have difficult people in our present. We can't seem to get away from them. They are difficult people who cannot be avoided. And they might be a difficult person that we can't seem to get around as we seek to move forward and move onward with our life. Some of us have responsibilities and duties of life that have not lessened over time. They have magnified over time. They have increased. They're not diminishing. They are becoming burdensome to the point where we don't know how we can take it any longer. Others of us have fears that hold us back from living in freedom. Fear of what other people think of us that restricts us from being free to share our faith and talk about anything we want to talk about. And sadly, some of us, I think, have the chains of financial obligations from our past. It may have been a medical procedure or two or a medical crisis in your life and you've got so much debts associated with that, you carry it around every day, you think about it. For some of us, it's educational debt that we're swimming in. Can't seem to ever escape that. Others of us have consumer debt that we made bad choices years ago. Now we're paying for it and we'll be paying for it and be paying for it and be paying for it. Now, yes, we don't have literal chains on our wrists. At least I don't I didn't see anybody, didn't hear anything clanging around this morning with any kind of chains. But we do have numerous factors that have the potential to frustrate us, to discourage us, to rob us of joy in our service of Jesus Christ. As I've thought about Paul entering in Jerusalem, still in chains, I've thought to myself, it would be easy for him to have sighed in his soul. You ever do that? You may not outwardly do that, but inwardly, that's the way you feel about life. It wouldn't surprise me if Paul would have found it easy just to settle into a season in his life of self pity, feeling sorry for himself, and noticing that the chains on his wrist would easily become an excuse to just give up, to say, okay, enough already. And he might want to just step into the, the role of thinking in his mind, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines for a while. I'm, not, I'm no longer going to be involved in advancing Christ's kingdom. I'm in chains still. Rather than finding those things, it's intriguing to me that's not what we find in this chapter and other indicators in the scriptures. Paul instead persevered. He persevered and found, we find several indicators here in the text, that he had sustained service that continued on for Christ. Instead of being frustrated, instead of having feelings of dismay, we see a number of signs of the fruit of joy in Jesus that is coming from his heart. As I said, some of this is found right here in this chapter 28. There are other parts of, of the New Testament, which I would call the prison epistles, which would be uh, books like uh, the Timothys, Titus, Colossians, Philippians, uh, those books. We find evidence that indeed Paul wrote at that time, and we would therefore, I'm going to suggest to you, that we'll find in this text two ways in which the Holy Spirit 
may enable us, like Paul, to get past the chains that bind us, get past the chains that frustrate us and discourage us in our lives. You say, well, boy, that's, that's something I need. Well, I hope you'll listen carefully, because here's the first one I would like to suggest to you. The first of these ways that the Holy Spirit can help us is to be treasure and trust Jesus Christ, our King. Treasure and trust Jesus Christ, our King. Instead of sitting back and feeling sorry for himself, and I thought to myself, the figure of speech is to throw your hands up, right? You're ready to give up. He probably only has one hand he could lift up. Paul doesn't have the extra hand, the freedom to do that. Instead of throwing that one hand up, he takes the initiative to seize the moment, such as it is, and to speak to the various members of the Jewish community there in Rome. And so he sets up a time to give a full explanation as to what in the world is going on. Why are you here, Paul? How is it that you still have these handcuffs on? And the Jewish their leaders in Rome, they have no clue what's going on because the text tells us that they have never received word from Caesarea as to what's going on with this guy coming and he's arrested and we know he's a troublemaker. We know he's a part of this group that uh, is clearly known for scandals. And so Paul says, listen, what a great opportunity. I want you to know exactly what is the truth come from the horse's mouth, as it were. And so look at verse 23. Paul does not hesitate. He says, he explained to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. He has them considering Jesus and the kingdom. Against the backdrop of the glory and the grandeur of Rome and all of the Caesar worship that's going on there, here is Paul pointing them to one greater than Caesar. He's reminding them Jesus is truly the king. He is the one who is the king of kings. And he is reigning now on his throne in heaven. And he is not some false messiah. He is not one who died merely in dishonor on a cross and remains in some nameless grave somewhere. But he is the preeminent king that God promised in the Old Testament. You see, Paul had read his Hebrew scriptures, and he was familiar with many of the messianic promises of God sending a king greater than David, who was the seed of David, or from the lineage of David. And Psalm 2 is one of those passages, and I would encourage you to read that in Psalm 110 at some point, and notice how the New Testament writers pick these things up and say, oh, this clearly is a pointing to Christ. We read God predicting in Psalm 2, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. Even, even Caesar didn't have all of the nations as his inheritance. He did have a big kingdom, but he didn't have all of them. But here's the promise to the Messiah. The very ends of the earth are going to be those that belong to the Messiah. Jesus did not appear on the scene making false claims of greatness, only then to disappear to the dust of history. 
No, Jesus, it's true, did wear a crown of thorns. That's a true fact. He did die at the hands of the Romans. It's true. But he rose from the dead victorious over his enemies. And that he is Lord. He is Master. He is King over all. There's no one who is his equal. And so Paul says, listen, don't focus on me. Don't focus on these chains. Focus on Jesus because he's the one you need to be dealing with. There's none like him. I wonder if you've lost sight of the fact that Jesus is King and reigns over everything, everyone, and over all this world. Notice also, as we think about Paul's attempt to get the focus onto Christ, it's accurate to say, Paul was in chains, yes, and it appeared as if, indeed, he was under the control of the Roman authorities. He's awaiting his appeal to Caesar, which he had started there in Caesarea, started that process. But it's also true that his life was ultimately in the hands of King Jesus. And so the sub-point there of B is, Jesus is the one who's in control. King Jesus is the one who's in control. I find it interesting at this point to compare Paul's writings during his time in Rome. If you look at Philippians chapter 1, so if you can hold your finger there, Acts 28, look a few pages to the right and find Philippians chapter 1. Fascinating text of Scripture because Paul is going to assure his readers in Philippi that being in Rome, he's letting them know, listen, yes, I'm still under, uh, I'm still chained, and yes, I'm still in prison, but things are not as bad as you may think. Paul was able to rejoice in his true, benevolent, all-righteous king. He says in Philippians 1, verse 12, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances... I want you to know about my circumstances. What's he referring to? Boy, you could put a lot in those circumstances, couldn't you? But let's say in this situation, it's the lengthy time of waiting and waiting and waiting, and he's still in chains. He's still bound in shackles. That my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What? So that my imprisonment, my bonds in the cause of Christ has become well known through the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. What a perspective on his circumstances. He's assuring them, listen here, it looked like this was a real dead end here to be in this situation, chained and still facing this imprisonment. But no, God's at work. All the events of the past two and a half years or so, we're under the sovereign reign and rule of Jesus, King Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's fair to say that the Lord has a reason and a purpose in all that he does in the world. As a matter of fact, with infinite wisdom and goodness, he governs over all things. If that's a true statement, I wonder if it could be said that your level of frustration that you face in life may reveal an assumption you're making that Jesus' superintending of all things that happen in your life and all the things in the world 
are really not happening in such a way that his purposes are being accomplished? Are we doubting and questioning the truth of Romans 8, 28 and 29? which assures us that we know for sure that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now the key word of Romans 8.28 is the word all. Because if you substitute in there the word some, some things are working, God causes some things to work together for good to those who love God and call according to God. Wait a minute. What if you said most things? It totally changes the meaning and understanding of that, understanding of how God works. If that were the case, we'd be left to wonder which circumstances were according to his purpose. But he says all things, and that includes whatever you have put under the category of chains in your life. It comes in the category of whatever challenges, obstacles, difficulties, that never seem to ever go away in your life. Those are the all things. And therefore, Paul says, listen, I know that including even these chains, God causes these things to work together for good to those who love him and call according to his purpose. And so therefore, he says, there's reason to rejoice. And that's what Paul says in Philippians 1. I rejoice and I will rejoice, he says. Verse 21. So Paul, in pointing them to Christ, sees one who is greater than Caesar, sees one who is really in control, and thirdly, one who cannot be forced to act on some formula. What do I mean here? Well, those who treasure and trust Christ in his wise providential control over all things, they are able to thrive they are able to grow, they are able to still be fruitful in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. Those who truly are treasuring Christ and trusting in him. You say, where do you get that? I go back again to Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8, which I find to be so helpful for those of us who feel like we've got things in our lives that never seem to go away, ongoing, continuous trials that seem to be uh, following us, shadowing us, and attached to us somehow. And here we read in Jeremiah 17. Maybe you might want to make note of that one. Maybe you want to look it up. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 says, The person who trusts in the Lord will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when heat comes, when there's a drought, when the temperatures get very, very high and and things really dry out on the surface. This plant is not going to be afraid of all that. Its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. What's he saying? Those who trust in the Lord, those who trust in Christ and treasure him, more than just being in control of their situation. Those who treasure and trust Christ and are not treasuring and trusting being in control or orchestrating the, their lives around certain events and certain ways of uh, the preferences of how we like to see our life unfold, 
they are going to be able to produce joy during the most difficult of circumstances that we can't control. I wonder if some of us in our frustration at the chains that linger in our lives, have you come to the point where you see Jesus' sovereign will and control over anything and everything that touches you and around you and that happens to you? Are you discouraged over quote-unquote circumstantial shackles that over the years have resulted in leaving you with a pessimistic perspective that sees only hindrances to the progress. All you see are barriers that keep you from moving forward. All you see are the obstacles to God's working in and through your life. Maybe you're a mother and you have small children. And those small children and the demands of those children and the lack of sleep and other things have robbed you from being able to have time in the Word in which you can actually read with your eyes focused and make sense of what you're reading and you have time to pray. You don't have those luxuries as much as you once did. Maybe you're caring for a, an older family member or someone else who has ongoing needs in your family. Or perhaps you're being harassed at work and people are clearly seeing you as a someone they label as a fanatic or they someone they think is... Uh, you know, they disrespect you in various ways and poke fun at you for your devotion to Christ. Or at school, you're being ridiculed because you don't just join in with the, with the uh, crowd. Well, Paul rejoiced despite his chains because deep down he is trusting Christ. Deep down he treasures Christ more than just being in control of his own circumstances. And I wonder if you look in your own life, if you're lacking in joy today, could it be that your goal, perhaps in dealing with God, is to somehow get God, convince him to have your will be done. And so you're bargaining with God, perhaps you're trying to uh, barter with God in some kind of formula where you say, well, if I do this, God, and if I do this, and if I stop doing this, then I want you to do this. And so we seek to try to persuade him why that must make sense and you must do that for me, God. Well, I had a very helpful quote I came across with J.D. Greer, who currently is the, uh, in charge of the Supreme, uh, Southern Baptist uh, Convention, actually. Now, here's the quote in your notes. Quit trying to manipulate Jesus into acting how you think he should. Instead, start trusting him to act how he knows is best. What a huge shift of perspective that is. I wonder if some of us have given up sharing our faith because we've run into so many other people over the years who've rejected it and who've brought up objections to it. I wonder if some of us have stopped giving to the Lord's work because what we want to happen in our lives is not happening and we're bummed about it. I don't know what kind of change you might have binding your life, but I would just urge you to think, think through this. Don't let those chains prevent you from treasuring Christ, from trusting in Christ. See them as perhaps a severe mercy 
that compels you to go deeper into the riches of knowing Christ, the King and Lord, to grow closer to Christ because of those chains and drawing you to a point of weakness where you cry out to him for his help and surrender to him. Well, I don't know we could that could be the full sermon here, but I'm going to put one more point out here because it just dawned on me the more I've thought about Paul and where he was having these chains that just never seemed to go away. I believe the next thing that Paul did, verse 24 of Acts 28, is that he began to speak to them regarding Jesus the Messiah. I believe that Paul did not hold back at all. He sought to share the good news of Jesus. Here is the sinless one, the one who was, has existed eternally, who took on human flesh and lived among us, the one who dwelt among us and then willingly died and laying down his life on that cross for sinners like you and me. And that he served to bear as a substitute the penalty that you and I deserve. And then he was raised to life after he died. And that being raised to life certified that his saving work was successfully and effectively accomplished. And the message that Paul, I'm sure, gave to them at that moment was trust in Christ, rely on what he has done for you, no longer rely on your keeping of the law, no longer rely on you being a person who does all the right things or tries to improve yourself to earn your way with God. No, trust in what Christ has done. You will never be able to pay the debt you owe to God for your sins. And when God, when Paul boldly shared the gospel while in chains, look at verse 24, some were being persuaded. Praise God for that. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. As I wondered about that, I wondered, were Paul's chains somehow a hindrance to his gospel witness and the impact of what he was saying? Could some people just say, well, what has this guy got to say? He's in chains. Was the fact that people did not believe, was it due to the fact that he still had this cloud of criminality hanging over his head? I don't know. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm convinced that Paul was confident of this one thing. Point number two, he was confident of the converting power of the Word of God. He spoke, and he spoke truth, confident that the truth of God's Word is greater than any who may oppose it. Here's Paul looking at his situation through the lens of Scripture, and he reminds him of the time in which Isaiah, when he was called into his ministry, Isaiah chapter 6, he sees the vision of God lifted up high and holy. He is humbled. He says, woe is me. And then he says, yes, I'm willing to go and be a witness. And then he hears the fact that this message that he's called to proclaim is a message that is going to be rejected. There are many who are going to have no ears to hear it, even as he proclaims it. It's not because the messenger and the message itself have become irrelevant or because they lack clarity. It's because Isaiah says, listen, God uses his message at times to 
hide the truth from those who reject it. That's why Jesus began to speak in parables. He says, I'm, just, I'm not even going to make it clear to you, those of you who keep uh, ignoring it and uh, dismissing it and rejecting it. You see, the Word of God can bring life to some. It brings judgment to others. And so the gospel of Jesus clearly can be a stumbling block to those who refuse it and who refuse to believe in Christ. And so instead of lacking confidence in Jesus, having no joy in serving Jesus, Paul spoke with conviction, a joyful reliance and assurance in the inspired Word of God. You see, God's Word is not hindered by our limitations and our deficiencies. At the end of his life, what does Paul say? This is fascinating in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I urge you to look there because this is Paul looking at the bigger picture, realizing that um, things are much different than what they appear to be. At the end of his life, he's now in a jail cell where he is not going to be granted his freedom. His days are numbered. He knows that he's about to be put to death. And he writes in page 1415 of your pew Bible, 2 Timothy verse, chapter 2, verse 9. I suffer hardship for the gospel, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. The word of God is not imprisoned. It is not chained. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, <clears throat> that, though, that they also may obtain the salvation <clears throat> which is in Christ Jesus. See, God's word, in Paul's situation, it was not under the control of those Roman soldiers. You see, the gospel is not made ineffective because we are treated with disrespect or we are treated uh, with somehow a denial of our rights. In terms of somehow thinking that it's not going to work out the way we hoped it would, God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It can penetrate the most hardened heart. As a matter of fact, the chain that was attached to Paul's wrist was 18 inches long. The other end is attached to a member of the legionnaire, or like a a member of the Roman soldier there who probably was smelly, I would imagine, just using my imagination. I imagine he may have had a lot of foul language that Paul is listening to from this guy. And that here is this hardened soldier. And Paul is stuck with him in this cell. Not just stuck with him, he is divinely assigned to the privilege of having this person to now share the good news with. They would spend six hours at a time the guy would have six hours with Paul and then another one would be brought in and he would spend six hours with Paul and six hours again and it would just continually rotate day in, day out. But imagine the impact that Paul had on these soldiers. People who never would have had chance to hear someone like Paul explain the good news that Christ loves you. Christ died for you. Christ is the true satisfier of, of your heart and life. And if you look here, some suggest that this goes on now for two years. If you look at verse 30 of chapter 28, this rented quarters and the fact that he remains there in, in Rome for quite a period of time, this is the first arrest now. This is not at the end of his life. This is 
they think he was released after this time. But if you compare this with Philippians 4, you read that the members of Caesar's household had come to faith. Different people with different jobs and overall administration, as it were, there in Caesar's and his reign and rule, they had come to faith. The church had begun sharing the gospel. They had begun to make an impact in the lives of people who were in the government, as it were, including, I believe, these soldiers. So that these chains were not hindering ministry. They were the means by which God's word began to continually become effective in lives of people you never would have thought. I was reading again about the fact that attempts have been made time and time again to chain God's word by human authorities. They have forbidden it. They have outlawed it. They have burned it. You remember Luther, uh, how many of his sermons they sought to confiscate and destroy. And Luther wrote those words, that great hymn, the body they may kill, but God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. And every attempt to silence the Word of God, and somehow make it something that is not an influencer in people's lives, always ends up failing. Because what happens when you forbid people to read the Word of God? It goes underground. And there are different ways in which people live their life secretly, or in ways in which it's cleverly done. They nonetheless, the Word of God continues on. One of the first men who boldly and bravely translated the Scriptures into English was John Wycliffe. And John Wycliffe eventually, in daring to do what was not allowed at the time by the existing church, is that they finally burned him at the stake, just for translating the Bible into English. And they tell the story of how they took his ashes that were remaining, the only thing that remained of his body after he had been burned, and they spread them in the sea. And the river, and the river then began to flow into the sea, and they, it began to go all the way around the world. The point was, what Wycliffe began has continued on now as the translation of the Word of God and his efforts and many others continue to make sure the gospel goes wide. And we live in a world where there are rulers who have tremendous power. In China, we have Xi Jinping, the general secretary of the Communist Party. His power has increased more and more. He is truly a dictator now. And, the, and he is putting the screws more and more to the Chinese church. People in North Korea, Kim Jong-un, all these kinds of things keep happening in our world where they oppress the church. And the point is what? The point is you cannot chain the word of God. And so when we think of our means of sharing it, we ought to be confident in what the scriptures say and their effectiveness to change people's lives and not see it as a dead end or somehow as being controlled by others around us. In a day and age which people are crying out that, that Christians are people full of hatred and they're intimidated by us and they want to, in many ways, silence us, let's always remember the Word of God cannot be chained. Let's pray. I don't know what form of change that you might be dealing with in your life. Maybe it's your guilt. 
Maybe it's a sense of shame. Maybe it's the fact that you have been unwilling to come in full repentance and faith to Christ. You've been somehow trying to give the impression that your life is not all that bad. But you know full well that you need a substitute. You need someone to stand in for you because the list of your offenses before God is very long. My friend, this is a day in which you can be unchained from all of your sin, the guilt of your sin, and you can be set free in Christ. If you come to Him in humble faith, trusting in Him what He's done for you, and yielding yourself to His sovereign kingship in your life and turning from your sin. Won't you do that today if you have not done so already? And if you're here today and you have other forms of chains in your life in which you feel as though you've become discouraged and frustrated and you have in many ways become and have adopted a perspective of discouragement and you have in many ways sitting on the sidelines, no longer seeking to advance the kingdom of Christ, would you even this day turn to Christ, find Him to be your treasure, trust in Him with your whole heart, and rely on His Word that is powerful and cannot be chained by any human authority or person. Lord, we pray that You would help us as people who oftentimes are prone to becoming aware of all the things that are wrong in life and forgetting all that's right with you. We pray that you would fill us with faith, fill us with confidence in you, fill us with a greater perspective of your work and your sovereign control over all things and of the power of the scriptures to bring about the changing of human hearts and to realize, Lord, you are at work, and you are greater than all. Give us, we pray, boldness, encouragement, and persistence to serve you in your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.